I am so grateful. Um, what a joy and a privilege to be here today with you. I'm deeply grateful to Mac for the invitation and to David and Amy and Clark and Karen for the hospitality, to Tate and Josh for the music, and to God that we are here. I've been thinking about my grandfather's favorite song from Missouri. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All we have needed, thy hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Some years ago, I spent a week in Colorado at a church youth conference. It was an amazing week. And if you've ever been to one of those events, or worked at one, or sent your child to one, or happened to be in the vicinity of several thousand youth worshiping full throttle and top decibel, you know what I mean. Youth conferences are like retreats. You just leave it all behind. And if you're in Colorado, which we were, then you have to worship outside under the stars every night, it's required, with a galaxy of sacred space above you and the several thousand teenagers around you. A person can't help but think outside the box at a night like that. Now at this conference, the musician David Bailey played for one of the worship services. Some of you may have known David. He was a singer-songwriter who spent 14 years in a fierce battle with cancer and wrote about it, what it was like to be a 20-something person of faith and married with two children and quite possibly dying. David Bailey told us that night that when he was first diagnosed, he used to wake up in the morning thinking, why me? But one day, he woke up and said, okay, God, what now? And it changed his life. It changed ours, too. We woke up every morning for the rest of that conference, and the first thing youth and I said to each other and to God was, okay, what now? Before the pandemic, I was reading quite a few articles about the church that sounded a lot like, why me? You know the ones that quote the statistics about how the church is in decline, no one goes or is interested in organized religion when they could go to brunch instead. And if things continue at this rate, the church as we know it will die. Those writers sound like they wake up every morning thinking, why me? But one of the amazing things about this past year is that not once, not once, have I read an article like that or heard any church person moaning on behalf of their denomination, why me? It's like we all spent the pandemic at a youth conference in Colorado. 
Maybe the things we've had to do this year just to survive have put us in a what now frame of mind. Distance learning. Online classrooms. Working from home on your laptop, which sounds fun until there are four of you doing it at the same time in the same house. Remote reconfigured mission projects, remote worship with preaching on top of the dome. That's outside the box. But I like it. I like outside the box worship better than remote worship because it hasn't been remote, not once. We have done everything we could think of to stay connected and together. And one of the best examples of that is right here at First Baptist in Asheville. You have come out stronger on the other side. And so here we are at a festival of regathering. Here we are inside the sanctuary and outside the box still. And overhead, a galaxy of sacred space waiting for us to dream it. Scripture is filled with people like this. Abraham, for instance. Abraham is a what now kind of guy. He and Sarah are also excellent examples of what the world thinks in decline looks like. Two octogenarians without a biological hope of birthing a line of descendants. If these two with their statistics were all you had to work with, you would probably wake up saying, why me? And some of us would write sad articles. It's not just outside the box for God to pick Abraham and Sarah as partners in the covenant. It's extreme sports, high risk, high danger, big thrills, really stupid. But frankly, it is a pattern we are going to see again and again in the Bible. Who does God pick to be the greatest king Israel ever had? A shepherd boy with a slingshot who can sing. Who does God pick to be the mother of Jesus? A small town teenaged girl with a fiance and a lot of explaining to do. It keeps us extreme sports, extreme sports messing around, totally messing around with our heads and bodies and statistics and probability. And I guess God must think that's important to keep messing with us. It keeps us on our toes. It keeps us interested. What now, God? What could you possibly think of now? And it keeps us from getting too settled and professional and grown up in our faith, no matter how old we are. You might even say that when God messes with us, it keeps things strange. Whenever we are tempted to feel like a little too much at home in this world, God reminds us that we don't own the place. We are just camping on our way through. 
I think this is what's going on in the passage from Hebrews. The author is trying to tell us what real faith looks like. Yes, the author says it was really something that old Abraham and Sarah had faith in God's strange promises when she was barren and he was as good as dead. Those two actually believed that God could pull a fast one with the childbirth statistics, and God did, and that's great. But the really great thing is that Abraham and Sarah were willing to believe all this from a tent. The really great thing is that they were willing to basically camp out for decades knowing that someday God would design and build a city with foundations, but they would never see it. Someday God would raise up descendants as numerous as the stars, but they wouldn't ever meet them. That is real faith, the author says. Seeing God's promises from a distance and not breaking camp. Living like a stranger on this earth and dreaming from inside your tent. Now I know that's not a definition that will immediately appeal to everyone. When my children were young, my two sons, our two sons, every summer our family did some kind of outdoor adventure. Every year I would think, there are two kinds of people in this world, people who like to camp and people who don't and hope to be good sports. <laughs> my husband and two sons are definitely in the first category. They are passionate about camping. I am not. I can backpack, I can cook over a camp stove, I can cook it up a tent, I can sleep in it and even enjoy it, mostly. But given a choice, it is not what I would choose to do for decades. But here's what I've noticed. When you're camping and sleeping in a tent, you dream differently. You actually think differently. No alarm systems, no locks, no storm windows, no broken dishwashers. You just zip up the flap and dream about the night sky and how big it is and how small you are. In the morning, maybe you move. And it does something to you, that transience. You remember that this earth doesn't belong to us and we aren't in control. And maybe getting in touch with God's dreams is more important than fulfilling our own. Maybe seeing God's vision and greeting it from a distance is better than finishing any of our own worthy projects. Because real faith, real faith, this Bible passage tells us, is like living and dreaming in a tent, worshiping outside with a galaxy of sacred space above us and a church full of hope around us and no boxes anywhere. We're here today because few things in life are as wonderful as reunions. And coming back to worship together 
to worship God under one roof, which a year ago we never dreamed would be in question. A year ago, we didn't know how outside the box we could actually be. This is a day of days, and I want to honor that, and you, and this church, and all you've had to do to keep body and soul and family and faith together. And I want to thank God for the blessing of being alive. For all the days any of us woke up thinking, Lord, why me? Today we have a chance to ask another question. Okay, God, what now? And here's a gift I think we can also keep from this season. It's the gift of a tent. Abraham and Sarah's tent. It's a gift, the gift of seeing that real faith has something to do with brick and mortar foundations that can, where you can really sit with real people. Real faith has something to do with sure foundations. But Jesus is the real foundation. Jesus is the head and cornerstone, and if we put up any buildings at all, they're just tents. If we worship in sanctuaries or behind our screens, they are just tents. This, all of this, is God's world, and we are just camping on our way through. God builds what will last, and we greet it, not remotely, but from a distance. So here's my prayer for you today, First Baptist Asheville. My prayer is that you will give thanks for this galaxy of sacred space above us, and then go out and dream some new dreams for yourself, for this church, and for a world that is not able to gather as we are here. Don't let those dreams be remote. Do what you already know how to do and have continued to do incredibly. Pick up your backpacks, follow Jesus into the streets of Asheville and beyond where despair lives and people are waiting to hear good news Pitch your tent where there are strangers to welcome, prisoners to visit, sick ones to care for, and mourning ones to comfort, and children and youth to teach about what is true and real and sacred. Let's all pick ourselves up. After this wretched, difficult, and still beautiful year. And give thanks for what we have learned outside the box, that we are not just good campers. We were born for it. So what now, God? <laughs> what could you possibly think of now? What are you going to show us in the night sky? And where should we camp tonight? <laughs>